0: This morning, um, for our service, I'm going to be reading two pieces. Um, My name's Hilda Buseman, by the way. If I'm not up there, I don't know. (laughs) And the first one is Galatians 5, verse um, 13 to 23. No, 16 to 23. And in your pew Bible, if you're following along, it's on page 946. So I say gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And the second piece is going to be from Titus. Titus 2, to 14 It's on page 966. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The word of the Lord.
1: Let's begin by praying. (sighs) Father, we thank you for your grace. It is your very grace that leads us, has led us to this moment in this day, at this time, at this hour. It's your grace that's opened up the parts of our minds to be able to see you and hear you, and even your grace still that is with us. And all the times that we struggle to see you, that we struggle to understand and struggle to hear. Your grace is what has led us, it is what is with us, and your grace is what will show us who Jesus is today. So Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be holy and pleasing to you. Growing up, I, uh, I lived all over the place. If you ever want to hear all the places I lived, I'd be happy to tell you. But I went to high school in California. And in California was the first time I was introduced to this or experienced this where it's not that uncommon that in California you have wildfires, Wildfires that get out of control, very dry conditions. And we kind of know this over time that wildfires have just become more and more common. And it's all these different kinds of settings that cause a wildfire to happen the dryness, extended drought, and boom. Fire catches hold and it goes everywhere. And as much as we have lots of systems in place to control where a fire goes, what it touches, what it destroys, very easily, even based on our modern-day technology means, we do not have the ability to control how devastating an uncontrolled wildfire can be. And it happens here, and it can happen anywhere. And it's the exact, that image of a wildfire wrecking land, wrecking everything in its path, is the exact opposite of this vision of flourishing. We're at the end of a sermon series where we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, talking about what does this fruitful, flourishing life with Jesus look like. And the exact opposite of that is the uncontrolled devastation of a fire. But in place of this gift that the Spirit gives us, if we walk in step in a deeply rooted life with Jesus... We're led to what, we, what Paul describes as a flourishing life. It begins with love, and it ends with today. And everyone just do a little gulp, self-control. Which, you know, if I look at all the different fruits, I imagine, you know, all of us struggle with these in different ways. Some of us succeed in these, but they all flow into one another. What might be easy for me in one area might be hard for someone else in another. But they all reflect the character and beauty and goodness of who Jesus is. We don't get to pick and choose. And when we walk in step with Jesus, what the Scripture tells us is that it will come out in this way. It will start to look like love. It will start to look like patience. It will start to look like gentleness. But then Paul also gives us an opposite picture, and it's in that list that Hilda read for us a little bit ago. This whole list of what happens, the acts of the flesh, which Paul says are obvious. And I probably won't read this whole passage, but you can see the verses and you can look at them and meditate them in Galatians 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, jealousy, rage, factions, dissensions, orgies, witchcraft. All these things are the kind of fruit that comes out of people that live for themselves, for their own purposes. And as I would also say, they are a list of things that come out of people's lives when they live out of control. That is the devastation. A wildfire wrecking people's lives, wrecking all the good that could happen in someone's life. That is the devastation that comes out of us. And it's what we see all over the place in the world. We see it in the church. We see it among our brothers and sisters following Jesus. I remember being really surprised when one of my good friends years ago, he he told he confessed to me some of the things on the, this list, and I was shocked. One of my close friends, accountability partner, struggling with some of the things on this list, and not the soft ones. And I thought to myself, wow, this can, this can show up anywhere. It takes such caution. It takes so, it's so important that we walk as close as possible to God. And as we look at self-control, Self-control is not something that I think is easy for many. And as I look at this list, I think that this is probably one of my personal greatest challenges. How do I embrace the practice of self-control or how do I cultivate it? And the key here, if you want to write this down, you can. It won't be on the screen, but I'll repeat it. To cultivate self-control in our lives, we must look for power outside of ourselves rather than looking from within to cultivate the fruit of self-control. We must look for power outside of ourselves rather than looking from within. And what changed, how do we do this? Because that's not our instinct. Our instinct is to be the problem solvers ourselves. I want to fix this as much as possible. I got a problem in my life or I'm fraying on the edges. I want to be the one to be the source that fixes the problem. Well, everything changes when God's grace enters the picture. God's grace which frees us. God's grace which leads us. And this is the key word for us this morning is surrender. How, you know, if, you, if, you've ever had, if you've ever been in AA yourself or you have a friend who's gone through AA, one of the very first steps in that journey of recovery, which matches and parallels the Christian journey, is to admit that you're powerless over your sin, to admit you're powerless over your addiction. We all need to admit that we are powerless over our lack of self-control, over being completely out of control. And so when I say surrender, what do you think of? I've done this past couple Sundays. What what do you think of when I say surrender? What are things you think of? Could you say it a little louder? Let it all go. Let it all go. Anything else? Giving Giving up my way. Those are both really good. Surrender is the coming at the end of yourself by saying yes to Jesus and saying no to the passions of the world. To saying, My thoughts are not your thoughts to God. Saying, My ways are not your ways. And it's a necessary act. Many of us who follow Jesus in the church have probably done this at one point of time or the other, but it is something that we don't just do once. We don't just do twice. We do it often. A daily act of surrender. A daily act of surrender. It's necessary in order for us to cultivate a power, a sense of power outside of us that is in God. So now I'm going to focus on Titus 2. So if you have your Bible open, I would f- go and look at Titus 2 because what I'm going to do is reflect on three facets of the discipline of surrender. Three facets of the discipline of the surrender that comes by God's grace. The first is that the discipline of surrender it frees us from sin. The second is that the discipline of surrender reveals to us the truth and goodness of God. And third, the discipline of surrender gives us everything we could possibly need for our lives in the future. First is, frees us from sin. Second, it reveals the goodness and truth that's in God. And three, it gives us everything we could possibly need. So the first one I'll read, the discipline of surrender frees us from sin. And I'm going to look at the first verse. You'll see it really clearly. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Titus is a very interesting letter. It's very short. It's one of Paul's letters. But Paul writes specific letters to people at times. He writes letters to Timothy. He writes letters to Titus. Now, Titus has been sent to Crete. It's an island in the Mediterranean, and it is a very rough place. If you read all the different cues and earlier in the letter, you would know that the Cretans, they are liars. They are the worst of the worst. You can't trust them. They're lazy. They're gluttons. They're violent. They're cruel. You would be, and You would make a good decision to not be in the company of a Cretan. And Titus has been sent here to lift up the church, to guide the church, the leaders of the church, to guide and help them focus on truth, but also to meet the cruelty and also the out-of-controlness this island is in. This island is left to chaos because of the kinds of people that are living here. The kinds of people that live here are the kinds of people that have the mantra, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. Why wouldn't you? What would be the consequences of that? And then the first word in verse 11, for the grace of God, it connects everything that Paul's just said. Paul is trying to put some boundary lines of instruction. This is how to instruct people, men and women, all ages. This is how you meet the chaos around you through an upright, self-controlled life that follows Jesus. He's been lifting this up. It is unruly and chaotic, and what is how to meet the chaos? How do you, how you can meet the chaos in your life personally, or the chaos you're going to experience in the world is through grace. Paul's whole point in this, for the grace of God has appeared, is saying God's grace has showed up. It showed up for the island of Crete. It showed up for Bethel Church, and it will show up for you in whatever season of life is coming ahead of you. God's grace has shown up, and it's appeared. It's appeared in Christ. That appearing language is so big. The grace of God has appeared is referencing Christ who came to perfectly reveal who God is in every way. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, he reveals that God's heart is to show love and mercy, which you can see all over the Bible, but especially in Jesus. And this revelation is what brings salvation. He's saying this appearance of God's of God and Christ is is also offering salvation to all people. Salvation also is freedom. It is a forgiveness of the sin and the ways that we have harmed each other. It is absolute freedom and that this is available for everyone. This is so key in Paul, that this is accessible to everyone. Everyone has access to this good news. Everyone in this room, everyone at home, you have access to the news that Christ came for you. He appeared that you would know that he wants you to be rescued, that he wants you to be saved. And God's the initiator of this. None of us are smart enough to figure this out. None of us are bright enough to say, you know, I'm going to figure out all the sort of facets and nuances of the world. No, all that I do is actually see, no, Christ and God came to me. This appearance humbles me. This appearance frees me. It's not about my mastery over knowledge or anything like that. It is God who initiates the grace, who reveals it, and who sets us free. The first verse in Galatians 5 were the list of, fruit of the fruit of the Spirit comes out. This is what it says in one. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He didn't set us free so that we could just be really good legalistic Christians. He didn't set us free so that we could forget um, the forgiveness and grace that God's given us. He set us free that we could live in freedom for Christ, with Christ. That we might stand firm, not be burdened, by again, by any yoke of slavery. And so the goodness of God in the flourishing life is freedom and the discipline of surrender. If I want to daily submit to God and surrender what I need, I need to submit the fact that I am not in control of my life. And just by doing that alone, by surrendering that, daily surrendering that, I receive the freedom of God. That everything that happens after that comes from a place of freedom and forgiveness. That's the first discipline of surrender. The second is this the discipline of surrender reveals us god's re- reveals to us god's goodness and truth just if you look at the, ver- the next verse it'll kind of invite us into this even further it teaches us to say no to ungodliness which is not always easy although it might sound that way it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright godly lives in this present age There's a focus on teaching, which I love that connection with edudeo that we just heard. Edudeo just had this whole connection of the awakening of the mind, the education, and then the gospel, it brings transformation. And so that's exactly what this is saying. Paul is saying to Titus, his representative, his missionary, teach. It's using a word called padea in the Greek, which for training and instruction and it comes actually from the Greek world of this is what people need to be taught to be civilized, That that makes sense. This is how people get civilized, that they're civilized when they're taught what to do. And Paul takes that word and says, I'm going to gonna, I'm gonna it. He takes the word out and he says, what does Jesus mean by teaching? It is the instruction by way of the Spirit to shape people to be more like Christ. It's not just about giving them more virtue and giving more ideas about morality. It's about a transformation that takes place when you learn who Jesus is and walk in step with it. So it builds up this idea that to be taught, we need to learn. But what I already told you, and this is the thing, that when you walk with Jesus, when you walk in step and you see Christ, you see the grace of God, you begin to realize that there are things that are not of God and there are things that are More and more, it's a discernment thing of the Spirit. You start to walk in step. You see the things of God's character are either evidenced in this one option I have in life or they're evidenced in another. And the more and more and more I look at Jesus, the more I stare at his face, I stay focused on the quality and the story of Scripture, the more and more I can clearly see by the witness of the Spirit in my life, whoa, this is not of God. And this is. And that's what helps us. It reveals, it reveals. If I surrender, no. If I have to surrender the fact that I know it all, I know what's good for people, I know what's bad for people, I have to check all that at the door. I have to check all that at the door and say, God, what is ultimately good for me? What's ultimately good for the people closest to my life? What's ultimately good for everything around my life and my family, my hopes and dreams? What's ultimately good for me? And that is what compels me. That is what draws me To the hard no's in life. Some things in life are very easy to say no to. Like, whoa, that is clearly not a good thing. But there are things that we have to say no to that we don't want to. In contrast to this, Paul is saying that the gift of grace leads us to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to Jesus. And one of the first things he mentions as part of saying yes to Jesus is to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Self-controlled, it's from the Greek word sophroneo, which is of sound mind or of being in right mind. So it means to be rightly aware around you, rightly aware or in tune with what's happening. It also means to have examined, to have examined your life, to have examined your motives, to understand why I would do one thing. And it also believes that after you've examined your rhythms and the patterns of your life, you also know that that results in your character you also know that that results in the fruit that comes out of your life. There's an image in Proverbs that's really great for this, that if we don't examine the things that are good or not, we are exposed to the wildfire of the world. We're exposed to the dangers of the world. Proverbs 25 says this, Like a city whose walls are broken, that are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken, through is a person who lacks self-control our very very own christy thomas she wrote a devotional book on the fruit of the spirit and this is what she says about this proverb without walls a house isn't safe without self-control anyone can walk into our lives and make our lives miserable you think about that for a second to live self-controlled it's not about restraining things like no you can't go over there no you can't go over there no you can't play or do the things you want to do it actually is much more about safety and security within the walls and boundaries that God's called us to. But sometimes we would prefer to set their boundaries ourselves. We'd prefer to set the boundaries ourselves, but we, hes- we don't realize that when we do that, we are giving we are opening the door for chaos, for danger, to embrace a way that's out of control. The discipline of cement surrender, which I already said, is coming to the end of yourself saying, your ways are not my ways, God. My way, Your thoughts are not my thoughts. It sets boundary lines for the flourishing. It sets boundary lines for growing in season, but we won't know what that looks like without focusing on God, surrendering what we think they are to God and allowing him to guide us by his character and by his spirit. God's grace that's appeared in Jesus is to say yes to him and no to the world. So the first is that the discipline of surrender, it helps it frees us. It frees us to receive the fruit. It frees us to receive the good things God has for us. It also reveals what is good and true and also what is not. And then this is the last one, the one that I think is very important is it not only reveals those things, it not only sets us free, but it gives us the power to do it. If this was left up to us, we would be lost. If it was left up to us to set all the boundaries, to set everything in place, it'd be lost. God gives us the power to follow him. It is not in us. It is outside of us. The discipline of surrender by the Holy Spirit empowers us to a life of faithful obedience. Titus 2.13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God, the Savior Jesus Christ. While we wait. That was actually the series of our Advent Sermon series last year, while we wait. The waiting is hard. <laughs> that is everything about self control. You know, I, I watch my young kids and I think, you know, wow, well, they actually can wait if I ask them to, but I better not make it too long. <laughs> but I always see these little Instagram videos of uh, parents putting like a, a bowl of candy in front of their kid and then they put the selfie camera on and then they walk away and say, hey, don't touch the candy. I'll be right back in just a little bit. Has anyone seen those things? I see them all the time. And and then they walk away, and the whole video is just capturing the, 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 the this almost, I'm using, the, 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 the conflictedness of the child, of wanting to grab the candy. The child doesn't know, maybe the child doesn't know that, that he or she is being videoed. But either way, they're watching it and think, Mommy said wait for the candy, okay. Mommy said wait for the candy. This is a long time. The waiting is what reveals The struggle. Sometimes we can actually put our will, and it's like I can do this for a little bit, but we will always be required to be faithful and obedient beyond what our strength allows us to. Always, the blessed hope is Jesus, the embodiment of hope's fulfillment. And when we take our focus off Jesus, we lose sight of the good. We step away from walking with the Spirit, and then we don't necessarily show the fruit of the holy of the Holy Spirit. Titus 2.14 continues the thought, and it finishes it for us. Jesus, who gave himself up, redeems us from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. In Mark, it says this, that the Son of Man did not come to to, to be served, but to serve and to give himself up for the ransom of many. This gift that Christ gave us, the gift that he's given you, it cost God he cost him his life. He suffered severely, and there's two effects of Christ's death. It's, it is a sacrificing for us that the sin in us might be removed, and it also calls us, it cements our status with him as his be- people. We have belonging in God, and it purifies us. For God's grace appeared, the more and more we see that God's grace appeared to us, the more and more we realize that we can give ourselves away to God because he's given himself perfectly to us. The surrendering yourself, the discipline, choosing, like today is a day I want to surrender everything to God. Choosing to do that is inseparably, inseparably connected to self-control. I must surrender everything to him because I must also receive the truth that he has given everything to me. There is nothing of good or benefit or blessing that I can receive from anywhere else that has not already been given by God who loves me. And once I receive this, as I receive this more and more and more, then I start to be restored. I start to be restored. We've talked about fallow ground. Not only do the bad, dry parts of my life get tilled up, but the good things put into it. My life becomes nourished. I get, you know, you know, I always think, you know, farms... I, I was at a, in Pinocchio a couple months ago, and I think, wow, what is that smell? <laughs> you know, that's the smell of growth. It's not just clearing the fallow ground. It's, it's getting the good stuff in there. But as those things happen... I start to become restored and made whole, and that is God purifying my hearts and my intentions. Self-control is about appetite, desires, the things I want that are not good for me. It is about an attitude toward people. I don't always want to be kind to the people that are not kind to me. Or even self-control over my tongue. James talks a lot about this. Many psychologists today, they would say that for self-control, you need to have a proper application of the will. Good patterns in place, good rhythms in life, routine, but you just need to, it's a power of the mind thing, a sheer power of will, dealing with past difficulties, but applying your mind and will in a way that will ultimately lead you to better control of self. And the Bible disagrees. I've already said it. The Bible disagrees. We don't find self-control by looking within us, just willpower. We find it by looking outside of ourselves. It's heart power. And not just by suppressing desires in the sense of, I really don't want that bowl of candy. It's not by suppressing it, just telling myself, I don't want it, I don't want it, when I still clearly want it. It's not by suppressing it, but it's by enhancing other desires for God. If you can enhance and see the beauty of God and say, this is what I want more than anything else. I want to be with my Lord and Savior, the God who has brought all goodness to me. That is where I want to be. That is what I want to focus on. If I enhance that desire, then what happens by the Spirit, what leads to flourishing, what produces fruit, is a reordering of desires and longings by one supreme love. Some of that comes from a sermon by Tim Keller, who's one of my favorites, And he this is what he says about real control. Real self-control does not come from suppressing desires of the heart by the will, but by reordering the loves of the heart by one overarching, overmastering supreme love that puts all of the loves in its place. Some of our loves are off. We want things that are not good for us, and we must surrender them to, to God. And some of these things we think, oh, is it really beneficial? Uh, Is it okay if I overeat sometimes? Is Is it okay if I don't always seek to make amends with one comment after the other and relationship after relationship? Is it okay if I'm not always honest about some of the things I do with my work? It's not okay. You might not get caught up in immediate trouble. You might the bad fruit from that might not immediately show up, but it's already happening here. It's already happening here, time after time after time. And what that does is it undermines the freedom God's given us. Or we've cut ourselves off from God revealing, no, that's not good for you, Chris. It's not good for you. And then also, we're, we're cutting off from the strength and power of the Spirit that is helping us to see these things and to actually live in step with these things. Because God desires the very best things for you and for me, and no one could desire better for us. So in review, the discipline of surrender frees us from sin. The discipline of surrender reveals to us God's goodness and truth. And the discipline of surrender empowers a life of faithful obedience, which is everything we need for the future. The blessed hope focusing on Jesus, that is what we need for any trial you will face in your life, what you need right now, what you're facing with your work or your family or the most difficult situation in your life. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that allows you to be faithful. And allows you to live in step with the Spirit through a self-controlled, upright, godly way. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. The uh, one of the things that I, I I realize is whether you're whether I want you know whether you want to think about the pandemic, whatever happened for you, whatever the story was that happened over the few years of the pandemic, or maybe you want to think more recently now. What's what's causing disruption for you personally? What happens when disorientation happens, when you're feeling tempted, or desires are taking place that are not necessarily from God, is you're, 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 you're being pushed. What, what you're doing is being challenged, and then you don't really quite always know why you're doing what you're doing. And knowing why you do something is everything to do with self-control. Why do I get up in the morning and try to wake up before my kids are up to get coffee and have some time with the Lord? Why do I sometimes pause myself and not try to react so loudly when I'm confused about something happening. Why do I do this? It is because I believe in the peace of Christ that is with me. I believe that as I fashion my days through the morning, midday, and end of the day, that God is leading me to be attentive to his mercy. And so some of us don't feel very self-controlled. You don't feel like you have really good rhythms in place or spiritual disciplines or anything like that. And it also, while it matters... It doesn't matter in this sense, that no matter where you are and what has happened in your life or what, what's happening right now, God wants a relationship with you. The key to this in surrendering is that you might have a relationship with God. You might feel caught up in guilt and sin about this one thing that's going on in your life, God wants a relationship with you. You feel like you've not been in church at all this past time, nor thought about your faith, God wants a relationship with you. God, you feel caught up in your work. You're overworking and you're starting to be unkind to your family or to your spouse. God wants a relationship with you. That is the key to surrender. We don't just surrender things because we think, why not? This is what the pastor's saying. No, we surrender these things because God wants a relationship with us. These things, they absolutely get in the way of our heart. They absolutely get in the way of us saying yes to God and no to the things that will tear us apart. And so, as you think about these things, I'm not meaning to do guilt, but I'm trying to say freedom. I'm not meaning to say this is really complex, but that if you look at God, you will find very good things to focus your life around. And I'm also saying that this is a fight worth fighting. God has ensured that he will give you the ability to overcome adversity that you have in your life because he's given you power to do it. It's not futile. You will not fail. We have the power of God with us, and it begins with a relationship with God and with a daily discipline of surrender. So let's pray. Let's invite him to seal that within us. Let's invite him to lead us in his mercy. So Lord, I thank you for your grace that it appeared, and it appears beautifully and powerfully. It shows us who Jesus is. It shows us your heart, and it tells us what we need to hear today, that you love us. And Lord, I pray against any sense of guilt, people who feel out of control in their life by their own choice or by what's happened to them. Instead, what I pray is, Lord, for your comfort and your gentleness to lead us. I pray, Lord, you would help us to more and more see how you desire good things for us and you have given us the power to pursue them. I pray, Lord, that we would follow you in step in trust, in boldness, in great confidence that you not only love us, but you have prepared the future day for us. And we are with you, and there's not a moment that you will not be with us. Help us to know what the next step is, what to do next through making amends, through trusting you, through looking at our daily rhythms, whatever it takes, Lord. Whatever it takes, Lord, for us to be close with you, to be close with your blessed hope. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.